If you have your Bible tonight, turn with us to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah chapter number 2. Isaiah chapter number 2, we want to continue looking on Sunday evenings through the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 2 is an incredible passage of scripture that deals with Christ and his judgment upon the house of Judah. It gives us insight into how God looks at sin and his people who have gone astray. And we find here an outpouring of the Lord and with his judgment and also um, the teaching that he brings forth to the nation of Israel. And so tonight I want to preach for a few moments on this thought when God shows up. When God shows up. Here we find in Isaiah chapter number 2. And tonight I did not put my scriptures up on the screen. So you're going to have to pull out your Bible and follow along with us. Isaiah chapter 2. Begin reading verse number 1. I want to read the first several verses here of Isaiah 2. The Bible says, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass... In the latter days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord, for you have forsaken your people the house of Jacob. Because they are filled with eastern ways, they are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they are pleased with the children of foreigners. Their land is also full of silver and gold, and there is no end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, and there is no end of their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the works of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. People bow down, and each man humble himself, therefore do not forgive them. Enter into the rock, and hide in the dust, from the terror of the Lord, and the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Let's go ahead and read the rest of this chapter, just to about ten more verses. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan, upon all the high mountains, and upon all the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower, and upon every fortified wall, upon all the ships of Tarshish, Upon all the beautiful sloops, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the 
haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, but the idols he shall utterly abolish. They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. In that day a man will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each for himself to worship, to the moles and bats, to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth violently. Sever yourselves from such a man, whose breath is in his nostrils, for of what account is he? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you. Lord, we ask that you might speak to our hearts for the next few minutes. Lord, may we stand back in awe and wonder of who you are. Lord, may you cause us to evaluate and search out our own hearts and see if there is wickedness in our own hearts and lives. God, may we tremble before your holy name. Lord, may you have liberty to, in our hearts, God, to prune out that unwanted, undesirable fruit of our lives. God, we might be vessels fit and pleasing to you. Father, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach on this, all as I said earlier, when God shows up. In the very first verse, it says, The word of I, that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Interesting, the first of Isaiah gives a description of who the book is written by. And, and two, and yet here in chapter two, we find there is a descriptive uh, uh, entrance again that it was the words that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So again, we have an introduction of who is writing this and who it is written to. Uh, it has been said by Bible biblical scholars that there possibly this portion of Isaiah was originally in a different manuscript and there was two different articles going around and therefore there was a introduction of both. But regardless, I want to look at one word and then we'll move on. It says, the word that I, Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Here, right off the bat, we find that this is not Isaiah's own words or his own thoughts or Isaiah's own opinions, but rather this is an inspiration, a divine inspiration of God revealing things to Isaiah. We believe that the Word of God is being inspired, that it is not when we read the Bible, we're not real, uh, just reading or merely reading men's opinions. We believe that we have the actual words of God. What we believe is, is that God spoke not just to man, but through man. And so as we read the book of Isaiah, we are we know that Isaiah was the man who took pen or ink to paper and jotted down the words. But these are not Isaiah's words. These are the words of God that he revealed to Isaiah. And here we have in this first verse of chapter 2, Isaiah telling us just as much. This are the words that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. God had revealed this to him. And so we believe that the word of God is inspired. Isaiah, from, and along with all the other books of the Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelations, it is the words of God himself. God revealed what he would have for you and I. 
And so we see that Isaiah is the inspired word of God. Verse number two says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mouth of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. I won't hold up here, but we saw an introduction in verse 1. In verse 2, we see an exalted place. In ancient times, it was commonplace for a city of nobility to be placed on the top of the hill so it would be shining from afar off. It was a spectacle to be gazed upon. And here it says that the mountain of the Lord's house will be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Now we understand that this is a representation of Jesus Christ when he comes and he establishes kingdom here on earth. There is more wars, rumors of wars, and we find here in this passage of scripture that men will beat their swords into plowshares. There's coming a day when we no longer need military might, and uh, that won't that be a wonderful day? I saw that just yesterday, the day before, that North Korea tested a, another IB, uh, ICBM inter continental ballistic missile and they said it went up I think 3,500 miles and out 160 miles and said it's capable now of reaching the continental United States and we hear all that's going on with Russia and Ukraine and the wars and and the potential for another third world war and all that's going on but there's coming a day when Jesus Christ comes and establishes his kingdom on earth and in that day we will have a thousand years of perfect peace boy can't somebody say amen there boy, won't that be a wonderful day when we have Christ reigning upon his throne and the Bible says that in that day his kingdom his mountain the house of him his house will be established above the mountains and above the hills and what the Bible's saying is that in that day there will be nothing greater than the house of the Lord it will be ruling above all else and so we have the exalted place which is the place of the Lord but then I want to look down in verse number three and here we see the greatest preacher that the world has ever known it says many people shall come and say Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This is when the nations of the world will say, listen, let us go up to the house of God, and he is going to teach us himself his words. We live in a day and age, a culture, world culture, where celebrity preachers are the craze right now. And everybody wants a great preacher. And I believe that preaching is an art form that must be developed. And as a pastor, I seek to do that. I have nowhere near um, uh, perfected it, but I strive to preach better. And I try to be better at articulating the word of God and the truths of God's word to people. And some pastors excel at it. Some struggle with it. And there's an wide range in between but there is coming a day when there's going to be the greatest preacher this world has ever known when Jesus Christ begins to teach truth and righteousness I can't wait for that day I have his words now but I can't wait to sit down and hear God himself 
in the flesh open up his mouth and begin to reveal to me truths of his word that my mind just cannot comprehend. Brother Jeff talked about it at Sunday school this morning. There are some things that even as Christians, as believers, longtime believers, that we have a hard time comprehending. One such thing is the Trinity. I believe the Trinity, but it's hard to articulate that, and it's really hard to really wrap our heads around something that is beyond our grasp. But there's coming a day when Jesus Christ is going to be able to teach us and reveal to us the things that now we see partially in them. But one day we're going to see the truth of it. And he is the greatest preacher that has ever the world has ever known. And he will sit upon his throne. In verse number 6 through verse number 11, we see some things that he begins to reveal. And this greatest preacher, he is going to, uh, which is Christ, he's, there's uh, two aspects that we see of his, of his ministry as the Lord of all. The first is, is the announcement or the bringing to light of sin. Verses number 6 through verse 11, I won't read it all again for sake of time, but we find that Christ begins to reveal sin in the house of Jacob. Verse number 6 says, For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because you are filled with eastern ways. They are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they are pleased with the children of foreigners. This is not the word of God being uh, uh, displaying xenophobia. This is the word of God saying, listen, it's not the problem is not other cultures, other people. The problem is, is that my people have tried to look like and take on the culture of the world. And instead of influencing the world, they have allowed the world to influence them. There's nothing wrong with other people. There's nothing wrong uh, uh, necessarily per se with them and themselves. God cre has created all people. But there is a problem when the church, the Christian, the believers, when we come to a place where we desire to look like, imitate, and be comfortable and at ease with the world. Uh, there should be friction between us and the world because we are not living like them. We are not acting like them. We are not going the same direction as them. They are. And so here we find that Christ begins to preach and begins to tell them, listen, there's a problem. You have taken on the culture of the world. And God says, this is not for my people. Come out from among them and be a separate. The Bible says that we are a chosen, a peculiar people. We should be different. And so he calls out their worldly lifestyles. Matter of fact, there's four aspects that he brings out in uh, announcements of sin. The first is the worldly lifestyles that are mentioned here in verse number six. The second also is the false truths of it. It says, and they are soothsayers like the Philistines. They are telling truths, they are, they are claiming to tell truths that are not truths at all. They are proclaiming lies to be truths. And boy, aren't we hearing that in today's time? We, we have praised that which is wrong and we have vilified that which is right and that goes both for the lost and for the believers. We're all, uh, society is guilty of it from the top to bottom. I told you there's this, uh, the revival that's going on at uh, Asbury and different places and people say, listen, is it true revival? I don't know, but what I do know is the devil's probably not behind people praising the Lord. He wants the praise and glory for himself. And there are people who are trying to deny when God moves. And there's people who are trying to say that God is moving in areas that he is not. And there is false truth. And God says, listen, you should come out from the world and be separate. But also, don't go along with the lies of the world, but just tell the truth. There's false truth. And so God begins to 
call out in the worldly lifestyles, the worldly culture and ambitions, the falsities of society. And then watch verse number seven. It says, their land is also full of silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, and there is no end to their chariots. We see here there's the praised wealth. We find, and later on you'll see that it really is not the money that's the problem, the wealth, but it's the glory they place in it. Often you hear misquoted that is money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not, it's an inanimate object. There's nothing corrupt or it's just an object. But when our hearts are consumed with it, there's the problem. And here's what happened. They had gold, they had silver, they had treasures, they had horses, they had chariots, but they allowed themselves to worship these things as we read in the passage. And their, their desire for wealth, their praise of wealth, the fact that they were consumed with materialism, God said, there's a problem. I am not trying to replace Israel with America. I understand this was written to Israel, but I believe that the if the shoe fits, wear it. Isn't that who we are? We are a materialistic society that is consumed. Uh, we, we're a consumer state. We, don't, we're, we, we, we export little. We consume everything. And I'll just say it on a side note. Uh, if America doesn't change our way of thinking, the way we do things, it is unsustainable. It can't sustain. And God calls them out for it. He says, listen, you've got all these things. But these things, you don't have wealth, wealth has you. They have your heart. And look at it where it develops to, verse number eight. It says, their land is also, watch this, full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands. That which their own fingers have made. They worship themselves. And don't that seem crazy? To worship ourselves. I don't want to worship myself. I know better than anybody how unworthy I am. Say, preacher, I don't even like you. Well, get in line. I don't like myself most of the time. I don't want to worship myself. And yet they do. Is this not what we're hearing? Just do what makes you happy. Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. Just don't let anybody tell you no. Do whatever you want. That is worshiping yourself. That is placing yourself above God. If you were here for our marriage seminar on Friday, then you know, don't live for happiness, live for holiness. God has not called you as a husband and wife to be happy. He has called you to be holy as a believer. 
America is plagued with this sin of seeking happiness. We want to do what makes you happy. No, don't do what makes you happy. Do what makes you holy and right with God. And if you'll seek him first, he'll add the happiness in droves. But when we seek happiness and forget God, we miss that all the way around. Self-worship. Verse number 12, we see that there is a shift in the message here. And it goes from the announcement of sin to the judgment. Not only is there a call to what sin is, but then here we see that the Lord says there is a price to pay for sin. There's a consequence. You can choose what sin you want to do. You can choose your actions, but you cannot choose the cost. God determines that. Say, preacher, I can do what I want. Sure you can. But God determines the price for your sin. Here we find there's judgment. There is a call. And the Lord begins to tell about his judgment in verse number 12. It says, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. The first judgment is humility. God says you'll be made low. I'll tell you, God has a way of humbling us, doesn't he? He does. I don't like it. I don't. But God's had to humble me before. And I don't like it, but he'll probably have to do it again. We get our eyes off the mark sometimes, don't we? We think a little bit too much of ourselves. But he says, listen, to these people, God says, everything lifted up is going to be brought low. Humility. This is where right revival begins. When we come to a place where we're willing to humble ourselves before God. And say, God, it's not about me, it's not about myself, it's not about my desires, it's not about my will, it's not about my ambitions or goals or dreams. God, it is about you. I desire that you are lifted up and exalted in my life. When God, we allow God to humble us. Here's where we begin to have our hearts revived and brought back into fellowship with him. says every tower, every fortified wall, verse 15. The ships, verse number 16. Verse number 17 says the loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. There is coming a day, the Bible says, where every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
We can act high and mighty. We can act holier than thou. We can throw on, like I talked about this morning, we can pretend to be something that we're not. We can pretend to be spiritual giants when we're all sinners saved by grace. We can do what we want, but there will come a day when every knee shall bow, not just believers, but unbelievers and unbelievers and believers alike. Every knee will bow down before him, fall prostrate and say, and declare together that Jesus Christ is Lord. Humility. And then verse number 18 says, But the idols he shall utterly abolish. I believe this really represents repentance. Where we turn from everything else, there's nothing left to turn to. God abolishes all the idols, the idols of self, the idols of clay, the idols of gold and silver. Everything that man worships, God says, it'll be removed where I alone am exalted. We must turn to him. We have no choice. Repentance. God uses his judgment to do that. I truly believe that repentance, judgment, humility, these are attributes that God can use in our lives to bring us to a place where we humble ourselves before him so that he may work through us. We want revival in America, don't we? but are we willing to pay the price? See, the price is we have to get ourselves out of the way. The price is we have to quit worshiping every other God and say, God, it's you alone that I desire. What happens, verse number 21? Verse number 21 says, To go into the cleft of the rocks and the crags and of the rugged rocks and the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. You ever been part of an earthquake? I've not been through a major earthquake, but I've been through a few minor shakes and trembles. And uh, in the Philippines, we had one there one night in our, in our condo. We lived in Manila. And uh, we've had earthquakes shake the building. And um, I, I, I've heard that bad earthquakes, you know, they've had a bad one hit Turkey and uh, what, Syria, and uh, thousands upon thousands dead. But they say that it's a, to be in a bad one is just mind numbing the helplessness that you feel in that moment. Yet the Bible says that God is going to arise to shake the earth mightily. That's what we need. We need God to shake North Etowah Baptist Church. We do. We need him to shake Etowah in our community, but it starts right here. Earth-shaking power. He's going to shake the earth mightily. Yet the Bible says that he desires for us to be able to work and do great things that he desires to do through us if we would but allow him to. But see, most of the time, 
we get in our own way, don't we? And then verse number 22, it says, Sever yourselves from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils, for of what account is he? This man that he's talking about, there's really two ways you could look at it. Both from the man who was walking away from God. Don't be that individual. You also can examine it as sever yourselves from a God that's so mighty saying, listen, don't get in his way. We're not going to stand before God. Bold and I've talked to so many people through the years. You witness to them. You tell them about heaven and hell and they just laugh it off. You ever met somebody like that? You tell them about the consequences of hell and they act all big and bad. I'll just go to hell and I'll have a party with my friends. I'll tell God that I don't need him and I've heard some brazen things out of people's mouths. But in that day, there's no standing before him. Humble ourselves. Humility. When God shows up, there was an announcement of sin. I believe that you say, what are the signs of revival? I believe one of the first signs is there's going to be sin that's going to be revealed in our lives. Sin. There's going to be a realization of where we stand before God. There will be an understanding that we are unworthy sinners saved by grace, but God will begin to work in our hearts to bring to the surface or bring to light the hidden things of the heart. This is the first sign of revival. The second is the warning of judgment in true repentance. Where we say, Lord, I am a sinner. And we come to a place in our lives where we quit pretending that we're okay. And instead we bow down before God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm just a sinner, God, worthy of hell. I have no righteousness to offer you. See, we think we do most of the time, though. We think we're something special. Say, God, I'm nothing. Lord, I understand that I'm worthy of your judgment. But, Lord, I want to humble myself before you. And when that happens... God will stand up and pour out his earth-shaking power and can transform our lives, our church, our community. But we need God to show up. He desires to move. Say, Pastor, we've been praying for revival for years. Wonderful. I, I believe that. But I believe a lot of times we pray it just because 
that's what Christians are supposed to pray for and believe. But are we serious? When God shows up, he'll show out. When God shows up, he's going to be revealed. There's no way you can take a God as big as he is that holds the whole universe in the palm of his hand and cram into, into a building as small as North Etowah is and not expect him to explode everywhere. The problem is we got to get ourselves out of the way and say, Lord, I don't need more of you. You need all of me. Here's my life. Take me, God. Use me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Tonight, if God has spoke to your hearts, I don't know. Maybe we ought to get in the altars tonight. Maybe pray where you're at. But Christian, I wonder, should we come to a place where we say, God, would you begin to work in my heart? As the psalmist said, God, search my heart. Try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. How about we start with that? Just humbling ourselves before him. As Brother Ronnie sings, if God has spoke to your heart tonight, the altars are open.